Thank you, Miss Evelyn, Miss June, for the music, Brother Keith for leading it. And I like the old hymns, don't you? And they, uh, they're good songs, and they encourage us and strengthen our faith. They have good theology in them, which I like. And uh, I tell you, I'm not, I know there are some people today that can still write uh, biblical music and Christ-honoring music. Uh, but most of the authors today of the music that's out there, uh, they, they write something that's tickling to the ear, and that's about it. <laughs> and uh, I like the old, the old hymns. They're tried and true and tested by time and um, have been used by the Lord in many, many ways. Philippians chapter number 4, and um, let's begin in verse number 4. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning and may you use it to strengthen us in a day where many times we look around and see dark times and we see discouragement. We see those that um, name the name of Christ, but they have just the form of godliness. They don't seem to follow after it. We see churches that so often will get up and have a, a service and a meeting, and yet your word not be preached in any of it, your Holy Spirit not be moving in the hearts of people. Lord, we come today and we ask that you would encourage us that we would not be discouraged in well-doing. That you would strengthen our hearts and our minds. That you would help us to purpose and resolve and, and uh, have committed in our hearts that we will remain steadfast in the faith. Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know you as their Savior, I pray that you would, before this service is over, help them to understand and see this need. And that they would give us the privilege to take your word and show them how they could be saved. We pray that your Holy Spirit will move and guide and direct. I pray that he will... Illuminate and open this passage to our hearts and our minds. As we study these things, I pray that you would give your grace and that you would help us to become more of what you ought, we ought to be for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. Obviously, I love the church at Philippi. One of my favorite churches to study about in the Scriptures. Uh, the only church that Paul ever writes to where he does not need to correct anything. Uh, that says an awful lot about this church. Because uh, I don't know if you notice this or not, but even in the best of churches in today, uh, you can find fault with them somewhere, can't you? Uh, somebody said years ago, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it, you'll ruin it. And uh, uh, there just isn't one out there. Uh, the difference ought be that the church strives to be as pleasing to God and as Christ-honoring as possible. Their heartbeat is to be biblical, to love the Lord with all their heart, and to seriously search the Scriptures and to see if these things be so. And, and I'm thankful that we have a church, and many times uh, throughout the week, sometimes I get phone calls from various folks in our church. And I love it as a pastor. 
uh, when I get a call and somebody says, Pastor, do you have a minute? And usually that means we're going to be here for a while. And uh, I'd rather be a little more honest say, do you have an hour? You know, <laughs> but they call and say, hey, do you have a minute? I've been reading this passage. And, boy, as soon as they do, uh, my heart jumps up and I think, boy, this is, this is good. I like that we have a church that longs to be biblical, that longs to be scriptural, that studies the Bible. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I, that's our goal. That's our, that's our desire here. We may not always succeed at it, but we're always going to pursue after it. And uh, I, I hope that we always are able to do that. Paul uh, is certainly feels very much so, I think, that way about the church at Philippi. They were a church that sought to please God. And uh, he, he kind of... Uh, since he doesn't have anything really to correct them on, he kind of tries to uh, encourage them and edify them, and he, he gives them some words of, of um, strength, if you will, to, to don't be weary, you know, and, and keep on keeping on, keep pressing on. And so as he gets to the end of this letter, uh, you can kind of feel that, that thought process in the Apostle Paul as you read through the last few words that he writes in this letter uh, that we've read here today. As he begins in verse number 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, we know from, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians, that the church at Philippi was a church that certainly was suffering. Uh, the Bible talks about the fact, and he commended the church at Philippi to the Corinthians, saying that uh, this church gave unto me, not out of their abundance, but out of their need. This was a church that struggled, they either materially or under persecution, and yet they were a joyful church. They continued to pursue and to keep on keeping on. And I'll tell you, I was looking uh, even this week at so many people that are distraught over the circumstances of our country. Can I tell you this? We're still going to wake up tomorrow and we're still going to keep on keeping on no matter what happens. Amen? And that ought to be the desire and the goal of every Christian. I got to thinking on that this week. And I was reading through some of these things, and I've seen people that are so distraught and uh, so, uh, so just dis discouraged and downtrodden uh, over the possible results of an election. And I thought, why as God's people should we ever feel that way? Uh, the Bible says we're to be uh, the light unto this world. We're supposed to be salt to this earth. And we're to be a candle that is set upon a candlestick and giving light to the whole house. And Paul encourages the church at Philippi by saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. You may be in desperate times. You may be in times of persecution. But you can rejoice in the Lord always. And he says again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. God has not forgotten. God has not forsaken. God is not sitting on His throne uh, busy doing something and all of a sudden looks over and says, Uh-oh, uh, something went wrong there in the, in the United States of America. God was not taken by surprise. The Lord is always at hand. And the Bible says this in verse number uh, 6, and I love this, Be careful for nothing. We use the word careful today in a little bit of a different twist, but the, uh, in the times of the writing of the, or the translating of our King James Bible, the idea of being careful meant to be full of care, full of anxiety, full of worry. And he's saying here, be careful for nothing. Don't be full of care. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by what? Prayer. And Thanksgiving. I did not find Facebook or Twitter in any part of that verse. I just didn't. I didn't find anything that said we as Christians ought to get together and have a pity party. It didn't say that there. It says in everything by what? Prayer and... Boy, that's the hard one, isn't it? That's the hard one. 
with thanksgiving. <laughs> wow. You mean we've got to thank the Lord during this time? Absolutely. That's what Paul says, doesn't he? By everything. Don't be careful. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't be downtrodden. Don't be disheartened. In everything, by prayer and thanks and supplication with thanksgiving. By the way, that's a, that's a whole lot of different response than what we've seen when other people don't get their way sometimes. We as God's people need to be thankful. We need to pray. We need to ask for God to do some things in our country, in our lives, in our churches. And we need to keep on doing the work that God's given us to do. He says in verse number 7, And the peace of a stable government. Is that what it says? It says the peace of financial security. Is that what it says? The peace of job security. No. What does it say? The peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He said, Brother Greg, how can I live the victorious Christian life? I am cast down. I am trodden underfoot. I am discouraged. I am at a loss. What are we going to do? We're going to put our trust in God. Notice he says in verse number 8, Finally, <laughs> Paul was one of those long-winded preachers. He's, he's a fellow that will have a sentence, a single sentence that will last for 12 verses. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are pure, just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, what does he tell us to do? Think on these things. I want to stop here for a moment and say that there is an implication in this verse that Paul makes. And that is that we are not to think on things that are not these. We're not to dwell on them. I want to spend some time this morning, keep your Bibles handy, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture today. I want to spend some time on a subject that we don't teach on or preach on very often, and that is how do we control our attitudes? How do we control our attitudes? For you see, we cannot always fully control the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But we can always control the attitude that we have. We can always control the faith that we place in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our, our dependence upon Him and Him alone. So I want to take a few moments to talk a little bit about and look at some biblical things regarding our attitudes about different things. You know what happens today is most of us, have attitudes that are very defeated. We, uh, we look at uh, the things that lie ahead of us and we say, boy, the way is going to be very, very hard. And I don't know if we can do it. Years ago, uh, my dad built a, uh, a playhouse for my brother, my younger brother and sister for Christmas, and he wanted to surprise them with it. And so uh, he and I spent a week before Christmas down at the church pre-building this, pre-fabricating this uh, playhouse Problem is, it weighed about 4,000 pounds, it seemed like. <laughs> Probably wasn't that, because three of us were able to pick it up off the ground, but just barely. And uh, his goal was to uh, wait until Christmas Eve, and then uh, we were going to bolt some 2x12s between some trees, and then take that uh, playhouse and just set it up on there. And uh, I'll never forget the day that we were going to do this. 
he had about uh, he had a tractor and a couple guys help us load it onto a trailer, and then we went to the house, and it was just he and my older brother, and uh, and and uh, and myself, and uh, we went to go. Put, or I'm sorry, my older brother wasn't there. My mom was there. My mom and my dad and myself, and uh, we went to go put this thing up. And mom is trying to do her best, but she was about to get hurt, so we got one end of it up, and on the uh, on the uh, uh, the two by twelve that was bolted a couple feet off the ground. And then Dad said, okay, Greg, we're going to each get on the end of the two before here, and we're going to each pick up our side. And he said, whatever you do, don't let it go. And so I was probably 19 years old, 18 years old at the time. And you know how you're, you know, the peak of your physical prowess, you're very strong and, you know, uh, invincible at that point. And I thought, oh, this is no problem, piece of cake. And we went over there, and we picked that thing up, and uh, we got it about to our knees like a deadlift, you know. But the problem was it wasn't high enough for the platform. We had to go come a little higher. And boy, you get to a certain leverage point, you can't lift it anymore. And so um, we're trying to lift, and my dad's hollering, "Come on, Greg! Come on, a little higher, a little higher, a little higher!" And in the next few moments, something very terrible happened. He and I had two completely different thoughts. His thought was, "We can do this. We just got to get under it and shoulder the load." My thought was. There is no way this is happening, and we're getting ready to get hurt. I better drop it. And I told my dad, I said, I can't hold it anymore. He's like, don't let it go, don't let it go. I said, I can't, I can't, I can't. And about that time, I let loose. And the whole weight of that treehouse came down on the back or on the shoulder of my dad, and it hurt him. It hurt his neck and hurt his back. And the truth was, he had been convinced in his mind and that he could do it, and that we could get this thing up there. I looked at the exact same thing, and I was convinced in my mind we couldn't do it. Can I tell you this, that if we continue to look to our strength, we will have varying opinions <laughs> about whether we can get through this or not. But if we look to God, there is no doubt. There is none. We can look at a task and we can say, it's too hard, I can't do it. But God says that He will give us His strength to go through it. God encourages us through it. We have defeated attitudes sometimes. We have discouraged attitudes sometimes. You've been there before. You keep working and working and working. You don't seem to make a whole lot of progress on the matter. You get discouraged. There's times we get disappointed in our, our thoughts and our attitudes. But what should we do with regards to our attitude? How do we control our attitudes? Well, the first thing we can do is we can pray for them. We can pray for our attitudes. Look with me, if you will, in Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter number 5. And the first thing that we need to do is we need to pray for God to give us His direction. You know our attitude will be a lot different if we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that we're going the way that God wants us to go. When we pray for God's direction and He opens that path for us and He opens that door for us, we can walk it with confidence and with joy in our hearts, with assurance that we're going the right way. When we don't do those things, we kind of second-guess. The way gets hard and we say, boy, I don't know if this was the right choice or not. But we should be praying for direction. Look with me in Galatians chapter number 5 and look down to verse number uh, 16. Paul says this, I say then, walk in the... Spirit. Notice the capital S. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Can I tell you this? Our attitude will be right when we're going the right direction. And we ought to be praying that God help me 
to walk in the Spirit. Help me to walk in such a way that I am walking the path that you have laid out before me. In Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 1, after he's just talked about all of these characters of great faith and the many multitudes that time would fail him to mention, he says, Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, all of these people that we talked about in chapter 11, he said, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is what? Set before us. We need to pray for God's direction. You say, why will that help? Because it will help us have the right attitude about what we're doing. I, I'm sitting here and, and I, you know, when, when things uh, didn't go quite the way we expected them to, well, they kind of probably went the way we expected them to, but not the way we were hoping them to. Um, this week, one of the first things that happened in my mind, and I'll just be honest with you, is what do we do now? <laughs> The truth is, we keep on doing what God has for us to do. And I had to get to a point where I realized that I need to be certain of God's direction for my life and keep doing it. Man, that helps my attitude a whole lot. It takes a lot of that burden and a lot of that worry and a lot of that concern and that care off when I know that I'm going the way that God wants me to go. We need to be praying for God's direction. Look with me in Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter number 9, and let's look in verse number 6. We need to pray for God to help us to be dedicated to what He has given us to do. Acts chapter 9, verse number 6. And he, trembling, astonished, and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. I love this statement. Paul, of course, is, you know, he's Saul of Tarsus up to this point. He's been doing God a favor, he thinks. He truly does. And I don't know if we understand this or not. Paul did not do this, uh, this uh, killing and arresting of Jews and persecuting the Jews, or, or the Christians, I mean, out of a rebellion to God or a hatred to God. He really thought he was doing it because he loved God. He just didn't understand. And God comes to him, and God uh, strikes him down on the road to Damascus. And, and, and notice this. If we get to um, verse number 5, I love this. It says, And he said, Who art thou? Lord, <laughs> if he called him Lord, how did, how, why would he say, who art thou? And here's what I got from this passage. While Paul may have been confused and astounded at that moment and been kind of wondering, I wonder what's happening here, there was one thing that he did know for certain. This is my Lord. He is the one that has charge over me. And in the very next sentence... The Bible says, He trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? In that moment where he said, This is my Lord, He is my Lord, Paul said, It is no longer my will, but now it's going to be His will. Lord, what wilt thou have me do? You know the secret to Paul's great success in ministry was because he got to a place where he said, I do not want what Paul wants. I want what God wants. And he said, I am purposing in my heart, I am dedicating myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this? Our attitude will change when we make a full commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and we say, 
I want what God wants above all else. I want what He wants in my life. It changes our attitude. When we begin to get selfish and we look at ourselves and we're worried about ourselves and we're thinking about ourselves, then all we do is worry. Boy, look at the, look at the way the world's going. Look at all the things that are happening. This is really going to hurt me. No, no, no. Let's rather say I want to make sure that I please Him. And I'm going to please Him in every way that I can. We need to be positive in three things with regards to our dedication. I want to t- share those with you real quick. Look with me in Acts chapter 9, verse number 20. Acts chapter number 9 and verse number 20. When it comes to our dedication to God, there's three areas that we must dedicate ourselves in and have the right attitude towards. Look with me in Acts chapter 9, verse number 20. And straightway, this is speaking of Paul, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Number one, we need to be dedicated in our testimony. We need to be dedicated in our testimony. Not only did Paul say, Lord, wilt thou have me do? He said, I'm going to do it. (laughs) And then he did it. Not only did he give word accolades to God, not only did he dedicate himself by mouth and by the things that he said, but he did it in practice. His testimony bore out the things that he was committed to. Can I tell you this? I think one of the big problems that we have in our churches, one of the big problems that we have in our our country as a whole, is that there are a lot of churches that this morning, on Sunday morning, are being conducted around this country where there's a lot of lip service to God and very little life that is given to live for God. A lot of people that will clean up very nice on a Sunday, and they'll come and they'll sing and they'll lift hands and they'll praise and they'll pray and they'll read Scripture and they'll come to altars and they'll shed tears. And then Monday through Saturday, there is no indication of anything in their life concerning God. When it comes to our dedication, there's three areas we need to make sure that we are dedicated in. Number one is in the area of our testimony. Not only do we claim that we're going to live for God and love God and serve God, but we're going to get out here and do that. We're going to get out and do that. Look with me in Acts chapter number 16 and verse number 31. Acts chapter number 16 and verse number 31. We'll back up just to verse 25 so you get the context. This is when Paul and Silas are in prison. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed... And sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. I wonder what this lost world sees or hears from us when things don't go the way we thought they should go. I promise you this. When Paul and Silas went here to this this city of Philippi, they, they did not think, well, we're going to go in here and we just can't wait. We're going to get arrested. We're going to get beaten and we're going to get thrown into the, into the prison. I don't think that that's what they thought was going to happen. But when it did happen, when things happened that they did not expect to happen, what was their response? They prayed and sang praises unto God. You find, you find this to be hard in your life. I know I do in mine. It is hard to praise God in the middle of persecution and trouble. It's hard to, isn't it? 
It's hard to say, God, I, I think you're a great God, and boy, your, your hand is at work, and I'm sure thankful for what you're doing right now. And we're in the middle of a valley. They praised and sang praises to God. They gave thanks to Him. And notice this, the Bible says in verse number 25, they weren't just doing this at home in their own closets. They weren't just mumbling it. The Bible says, and the prisoners heard them. I'll tell you this, I think these were a couple, not that they had Baptists back then, but I think these were a couple leather-lunged Baptist preachers. And they were singing in the middle of this jail as loud as they possibly could because they wanted to make sure everybody knew that there was a God in heaven that they were sending praise to. The Bible says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened. And everyone's bands were loosed, and all of a sudden the, the situation changes to where if Paul and Silas wanted to, they could have been delivered from this. I, I firmly believe that. I think God would have allowed that. But they didn't do that. They knew that there was something necessary. There were people in that jail that needed the, their testimony, didn't they? There were people in that, in that prison that needed their message. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I want you to notice this, verse number 31. And they said, <laughs> Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved in thy house. Can I tell you this? When it comes to our attitudes, we need to be dedicated in the area of our testimony. We need to have the right attitude in the area of our speech. It's not all about us. As a Christian, we do not live egocentric lives. We live lives that are first and foremost given to please God and secondly, are given to reach those that we have such compassion on, and that is the lost. We need to be positive in our testimony. We need to make sure that our testimony is such that we're praising God and we're lifting God up and we're making sure that people know about Him. We need to make sure that we have a positive attitude in the area of our speech. I love giving the gospel to somebody. And it's hard sometimes when you get to the part of the fact that we're all sinners and that there's a payment for sin. But oh, isn't it wonderful when we finally get to the part where we say, but you don't have to pay that penalty. <laughs> God has already paid it for us and all we have to do is put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. We have to trust Him for our salvation. Oh, what a joy. What, no wonder they call that the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be positive in our testimony. We need to be positive in our speech. And thirdly, we need to be positive in our, in our thoughts. Look with me, if you will, in Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9, we'll go to verse number um, 20. And they brought him unto him and said, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. Speaking of a man that was possessed of a devil here. And straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child, and oft times it hath cast him into the fire 
and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Thou canst believe. All things are possible to him that believeth. I am not one of these power of positive thinking preachers that are going to sit here and tell you if you just believe that you'll be wealthy, you'll be wealthy. If you just believe you'll have a new house, you'll have a new house. If you believe that your health will return, your health will return. Those aren't the things that God is speaking of here. God is speaking about the spiritual condition of this young man. God, if thou canst help us, if you can help me with my spiritual condition, Lord, we need to have faith. We need to have a positive outlook when it comes to the things of our thoughts. Lord, I do believe. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 24, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. I love this verse. He says, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine, what? Unbelief. It's amazing to me how many times the disciples of God, who saw the miracles of God, God looked at, Christ looked at and said, O ye of Little faith. Peter gets out of the boat. By the way, we give Peter a hard time. He's the only other person other than the Lord Jesus Christ ever to walk on water. That took more faith than I've got. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) He gets out of the boat. He walks on the water. And then he begins to sink. And he cries out to God. We believe, don't we? But there's that element of unbelief that's still there. Oh, we believe that God will get the glory through the things that are happening in our life now and our, our country and our churches and the economy and all these things, foreign uh, uh, relations and, and uh, the economy and all the different things that are happening. We, we think, boy, we believe God can do it, but in the back of our minds, we still think, oh my, what are we going to do? We believe that God can still send revival. We believe that God can still stir the hearts of Christians. We believe that God can still save those that are lost. We believe that it's possible to reach this world with the gospel. But in the back of our minds, there's those little seeds of doubt that seem to creep in. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Can I tell you this? We need to just with great with a great attitude and positive thinking and thinking of the fact that we're going to put our faith in Jesus Christ. If there's a power of positive thinking to be had, it's only to be had as we put it in faith and trust in Christ. Having Him do the work that He's choosing to do in our lives. We need to be positive in our testimony. We need positive in our speech. We need to be positive in our testimony. Uh, in our thoughts, I'm sorry. Now I want you to notice this. Matthew chapter number 9. How do we behave ourselves? This attitude that we're working on, that we want so much to be directed by God in His way. We want uh, an attitude that is uh, dedicated to God, an attitude of dedication to Him, an attitude of seeking His direction. 
then this attitude needs to be one that is pleasant in several areas. Look with me in Matthew chapter number 9 and verse number 36. Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 36. But when he saw the multitudes, by the way, speaking here of seeing them spiritually, not only literally, but also spiritually. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with what? Compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. He will send forth laborers into his harvest. Can I tell you this? We need to have an attitude of compassion. We need to have an attitude of compassion. Well, Brother Greg, I'll tell you, uh, the last four years, these people have, have really worked hard to do all this, this, and this. Can we love them as sinners? People that need to know the Lord as their Savior. People that need the gospel. Can we have a burden for them? Can we, can we renew our hearts? to this desire of seeing the lost one to Christ. I, I posted a thing the other day. I was, I was just dwelling and thinking on some things this week, and I thought, I, I was convicted, I'll tell you. Because I've put a lot of effort into trying to promote some things to help with this year's election. I've spent some time and energy and even some resources. And I thought, when was the last time that I spent that much time, and that much energy, and that many resources? I'm trying to reach a soul for Christ. Oh, we put forth our effort in it, don't we? We just don't put that much effort toward it. And so I had to ask the question, why? I was concerned for this year's election. I really was. I'll I'll be honest with you. I was concerned about it. I know many of you all were. And I thought, do I not have enough concern for the lost? Do I not have enough compassion for them that I'm willing to give the same effort and more to try to reach them with the gospel? That I would give of my time and my resources, my energy? Oh, that we would learn to be compassionate in our attitudes. Not vindictive, not mean-spirited. I've got a dear friend of mine that sees things a little differently than I do. We have some lengthy discussions sometimes. And there were some things said this week from that person's side that were very hurtful to me. How do I respond? Do I respond in kind and get defensive or do I show compassion and try to be a help and a blessing to them? We need to make sure that we're biblical in our attitudes. Do we stand for what's right? Yes, we do, without apology, with boldness. Do we stand against what's wrong? Yes, we do, without apology, vocally. But we can do things with compassion for others. Just because we disagree on some things, just because we're going to be very opinionated and make sure that we try to do things that are Christ-honoring, to lift high the, the principles of Scripture and preach forth, forth boldly the principles of Scripture, does not mean that we cannot have a heart of compassion for those that are lost. Oh, that we would have the right kind of an attitude in this area. Matthew chapter number 10 and verse number 16 
Jesus says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Well, Brother Greg, you don't understand. These people, they're, they're bad. Well, Jesus said He's sending them in to the midst of wolves. And yet He tells them to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We need to be compassionate. We need to show some consideration to others. Do we compromise? No, not at all. Do we change what we hold to and what we believe in? No, not a bit. We are bold in those things. We are steadfast in those things. We will not be shaken. But I'm going to treat those that don't see things the way that I do with compassion. I'm going to treat them with wisdom and kindness and grace. we have the discussions, I'll share my opinions with them. I have no problems doing that. I'll take and I'll share the Scriptures with them and I'll say this is not even up for discussion. This is truth and it is irrefutable. But I will do it with compassion and I will do it with kindness. Having the right kind of an attitude. You know how many people over the years and not just in the last week, but over the years, do you know how many people that could been reached for the Lord Jesus Christ that were turned off not by the message but by the way the message was proclaimed. Those that were driven from God rather than drawn to God. Those that got a bad taste in their mouth of what Christianity is all about not because of a wrong message but because of a wrong method. Oh, that we would learn to have compassion and consideration. Then I want to say this about our attitudes. We need to learn to have a passion to be Christ-like. We need to have a passion to be Christ-like in our attitudes. It needs to be the driving, motivating force in our hearts. That we love Him so much that all we long to do is be more like Him. That we love Him with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our minds. Look with me, if you will, in John chapter number 3. I know we can quote this verse forwards, backwards, inside out, upside down. It doesn't matter. We know this verse. But I want you to listen to this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And I tell you, if that verse had stopped there, it would have been enough to express to us the deep love of God. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Can I tell you, we need to strive to be Christ-like in our love. What is it that I'm willing to give to reach someone with the gospel? God gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Are we in such a place that we love God so much that we long to be more and more like Him? We long to have that same kind of love? The Bible says that He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be what? Saved. God didn't come to condemn the world. God came to save the world. He said, I am come... To seek and to save 
that which was lost. He said, I am not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The desire of God was not to come and bring judgment on the earth. The desire of God was to come and bring salvation to the earth. Amen. I'm thankful He did. Why is it that when it comes to our actions to others, we seem to be so judgmental and so little concerned and compassionate to draw them to a point of salvation? Oh, that we would learn these things. Look with me in John chapter number 13. Verse number 15, John 13 and verse number 15. And let's back up just a few. Uh, let's go back to verse number um, 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done for you, done to you. You call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, so also ought ye ought also wash one another's feet. For I have given you a what? An example that ye should do as I have done to you. We don't focus on these verses very much, do we? I'm thankful that we at Keith Ice Baptist Church we are steadfast and we are emphatic about being strong doctrinally on the Bible. I'm thankful that we are going to be steadfast. We're going to oppose the world creeping into this place and, and uh, causing us to be an unscriptural and unbiblical church. And we're going to do that passionately and steadfastly. But we're not going to do it at the expense of being mean-spirited just for the sake of being mean-spirited. Or to be offensive for the sake of being offensive. I've heard some preachers get up in preachers' conferences and they've, they've bragged about how many people they offended in their preaching. Can I tell you this? The truth will be offensive to some people, and I understand that. But it ought to be offensive because it's the truth, not because of how the pastor preached it. Not because of how God's people practiced it or held it before people. Not in a judgmental attitude, but in a loving attitude. The Bible talks about a person that's overtaken in a fault. He says, ye which are spiritual are to what? Judge them, kick them out, turn them away, separate from them. If a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, what? Restore such a one. Are we to think better of ourselves than them? No. It says in the spirit of meekness. We're no different than they. Can I tell you this? There's not one of us sitting here today or standing here today that are not a sinner that have just been saved by the grace of God. Not one of us. We have all been in the same boat. There's a world out there that strongly denies God. There are atheists, there are agnostics, there are other religions that out there, out there that deny God and are hateful to God. There are people that literally are bitter and blasphemous toward God and speak unspeakable things about Him. Can I tell you this? We still need to try to reach them with the gospel. 
If anything, it ought to cause God's people to rise up and start proclaiming the Word of God loudly and boldly from a mountaintop instead of cowering in our, our pews and our churches and saying, well, we enjoy our Sunday service, but that's as far as our Christian life goes. We need to proclaim the Word of God, but we need to proclaim it with, with compassion and with love, with a servant's attitude and mindset. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 11, Paul said this, For the love of Christ constraineth me. Can I tell you this? Our attitudes need to be such that we are constrained by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to Him by His love for us. That there be a constraint... Our attitudes need to be such that are Christ-honoring, that are an example of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that He's done. Knowing this, therefore, verse number 11, he says this, Knowing this, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God. I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. You know, one of the great travesties I think that we face today is a lot of churches, a lot of Christians, that glory in appearance, but not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether it be sober, it is for your cause, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all. And that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. What should our attitudes be? Our attitudes should be one that follows an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our attitudes should be one that would glorify Him to others. That when men look at our good deeds, they would glorify our Father which is in heaven. I know the temptation, the disappointment, the bitterness that there is and seeing what has been done in our country in four years' time. And the temptation is, well, let's go out there and do the same thing. Boy, they deserve it, don't they? I'll tell you this this morning. I am so thankful that I do not get what I deserve. I'm thankful there was a God in heaven that showed me some compassion. He showed me love. He showed me forgiveness. God loved me enough that He came to me and said, I want to make you part of my family. How should our attitudes be? According to John 13, 15, they're to be like Christ. They're to be like Christ. I don't know what the days ahead hold. I still hope that the election turns out the way I'd like to see it turn out. don't know that it will. But I don't mean to make this a political service. All I'm simply saying is this, that I have had numerous issues this week of people that have either contacted me or posted things to me or sent things to me that are in despair, 
They're despondent. They don't know what to do. Life is over for them to some degree. Can I tell you this? Lift up your heads. We have a great God. It doesn't matter what the outcome of our election is going to be. We're just going to keep on doing what the Bible says to do. We have a right kind of attitude. We're going to be respectful to those that don't see things the way we do. We're going to make sure that they understand and know the love of the Lord Jesus Christ by our testimony, by our speech, by the way we conduct ourselves and the way that we act. May God help us to have the right kind of an attitude. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, I pray that you'll bless the message this morning. Lord, whether there was a political thing that happened this week or not, this message, I believe, is needed much in our country. Lord, all that we taught today could be said, whether there was a reason this week specifically to, to teach on it or not. There's such a lack, it seems like, of understanding how we are to respond to this world. That we would have a passion and a desire to do all that we can to proclaim the Word of God to a lost and a dying world. Father, help us to be like You. Help us to draw closer to You. Help us to work and to labor tirelessly that I would, our, our labor and our efforts would not be in vain. That we would rest upon Your strength and Your guidance. We would pray for Your will to be done in our lives. Bless the message this morning and speak to hearts. I pray that You would help us to rededicate ourselves afresh and anew. Not only to act and conduct ourselves the way that would be pleasing to You, but, Father, that there would be a renewed stirring in our hearts and desire to proclaim Your Word with boldness everywhere we go, that we would be busy doing the work that You've called us to do. I pray that You'll use the invitation as You would see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, the piano and organ are going to play through a verse or two of invitation. If God has spoken, would you come this morning? Are we conducting ourselves right? Do we have the right view of the lost? Are we so distracted by other things that we've lost our zeal for reaching the lost? Oh, that we would focus back on the things we need to. Fathers, we dismiss in prayer. pray that you'll bless the messages, Lord, and keep them in our hearts and our minds. Keep them before us. We pray that you'll help us to honor and glorify you in all that we say and all that we do in the weeks and months ahead. We could show an example of, 
a Christ-like spirit, that our testimony would be right, that our speech would be right. Lord, may we boldly proclaim Your Word. May we stand for what's right. May we stand against what's wrong. May we have compassion on the lost. Dismiss us now with Your blessings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.